Mark chapter 2 is where we'll start, and we'll end up in Mark chapter 3 today. The title of the message is The Sabbath Controversy. And uh, today's passages are going to find Jesus into some more trouble with the Pharisees. As you're turning there, I, I want to make mention uh, that, uh, that today, uh, just a couple announcements more geared towards uh, families with teenagers. Today's the last day to sign up for winter retreat. So if you haven't done that, get a hold of Mitch. There's some contact information in the bulletin. You can get a hold of him or speak to him tonight at, at uh, Route 28. And then also you'll notice in there that the, the new youth schedule uh, is printed in your bulletin, and, and that will uh, begin tonight with uh, the middle schoolers and uh, the high schoolers being separated, just to hopefully allow for, uh, for a little bit more flexibility as, uh, as uh, uh, Mitch and our other leaders minister to the teens. And then finally, uh, just a little public service announcement. If you lost a set of keys, there's a set of them at the Welcome Center out in the back. And it looks like a pretty nice vehicle, so I'm kind of hoping nobody picks them up, because I'm going <laughs> to... Walk around pushing the button after the service, see what beeps out in the parking lot. Well, if you found Mark chapter 2 in your Bible, uh, you'll see uh, maybe a heading that says something along the lines of Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And in this passage, he's going to encounter the Pharisees once again as they try to impose some of their regulations on him. Have you ever... As you're maybe reading through the paper or, or see something in the news, uh, have you ever noticed that our country has some goofy laws, uh, some just that seem downright silly? And I was reading some of them this week that have, for whatever reason, stayed on the books. Most of these are not enforced to my, in my understanding, but some of them uh, are still in practice today. These are some of the, the silly laws that are still on the books in some states. Um, in Arizona, donkeys are not uh, permitted to sleep in bathtubs. In Delaware, it's against the law to sell dog hair. I don't know if that's legal in Michigan, but you can't pull it off in Delaware. In Georgia, it's illegal to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sundays. <laughs> also in Arizona, you can be sentenced up to 25 years in prison for cutting down one of those cactuses. Uh, in Kansas, if two trains meet on the same track, neither shall proceed until the other has passed. <laughs> in Maine, it is illegal for Christmas decorations to be up after January 14th. I've, <laughs> I've heard that there's a, a Senate bill on the table to make this a national law, so watch out. Uh, in Missouri, one cannot drive with an uncaged bear, just in case the temptation arises. And in North Carolina, bingo games cannot last for more than five hours, <laughs> which is a mercy to all involved. Um, <laughs> in Jesus' day, there were also a lot of silly laws that were being imposed on people by the Pharisees. And a lot of them had to do with the Sabbath day. And we're going to look at that a little bit here in a moment. But first, I want to read the first story. There's, a, there's actually two instances of Sabbath controversy right back to back in the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And the first one begins in chapter 2, verse 23. And it says this, One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, 
his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and, in, and, and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of God is Lord even of the Sabbath. So apparently on this Sabbath, which was Saturday, Jesus and his disciples were out for a walk, and they were passing through a grain field. And in, uh, in, the, in the account in Matthew chapter 12 that, that uh, goes through this same story, it says that they were hungry, and so they began eating some of the grain that they were passing through. Most likely this was a wheat or a barley field, and the harvest would have most likely been around the early summertime, and so probably that's the time of year they're passing through, and they, they wanted something to eat, and apparently they were hungry enough that they were even willing to eat raw grain out in the field, and so they grabbed it and would rub it in their fingers and, and ate it. The passage doesn't say where the Pharisees came from, they just all of a sudden kind of popped up out of nowhere in verse 24. Most likely, if what we know about Pharisees is accurate, they had been following Jesus, looking for ways in which they were going to slip up, especially on the Sabbath. And so they pounced on this opportunity because it was illegal, according to their laws, to harvest grain on the Sabbath. And they felt that's exactly what the disciples were doing. You see, in the Old Testament... God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He didn't flesh it out other than he says, just don't work. And that's, that's all he told them about the Sabbath. Well, for the Pharisees, they wanted, they wanted a little more clarity. They wanted some more detail. They wanted to flesh this baby out. So they added all kinds of extra rules and regulations to define what work was. And they literally came up, in fact, in, in fact the Jewish uh, writings of the Talmud includes 24 chapters of laws that regulated the Sabbath. They had rules for everything you could, could and could not do on the Sabbath. For example, on the Sabbath you could not wear perfume, you could not lift a stone or even dust at your house. You were not allowed to aid an animal in giving birth. On the Sabbath, you could not lift up one of your animals if it had fallen into a pit. On the Sabbath, you were not allowed to carry your child. There were only certain things you could lift and only certain places you could carry them and place them. You could not tie or loosen a knot. You could not sew more than one stitch. You could not write more than one letter. If a building fell down on a Sabbath, enough rubble could be removed to discover if any victims were dead or alive. If alive, they could be rescued, but if dead, the corpses must remain until sunset. You can see how this interpretation of the Sabbath was very restrictive and binding on people. And the laws go on and on and on, detail after detail, rule after rule. And so these Pharisees, 
saw the disciples working on the Sabbath day. Just simply grabbing some grain and eating it. And their interpretation of the law constituted work. And they were all over them. What's ironic is that According to their laws, the disciples were also guilty of breaking another one. They don't mention it, but that is traveling on the Sabbath. You are not allowed to walk more than 1,999 paces on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. That's about 800 meters. And anything more than that was considered a breach of the Sabbath. Curiously, (laughs) the Pharisees leave this infraction unmentioned, probably because they were breaking it also by following the disciples around looking for Sabbath infractions. See, the thing is, is when you make all kinds of rules and regulations and add to God's Word, the problem is is that you, you can't even remember all the rules yourself, and you begin to break them while you're self-righteously watching other people trying to make sure they don't break them, and it becomes maddening. Absolutely maddening. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He recognized that in their self-righteousness, the Pharisees were just as guilty of breaking these man-made rules as everybody else. Imposed so much bondage on people. And so Jesus replied with a scriptural analogy, a scriptural story in defense of what the disciples were doing. And he brings up the story of David. Now you can read about this story in, uh, I believe it's uh, first, I didn't write it down, but I think it's 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through, I think 1 through 12, if I remember correctly. In this story, David and his men were running from Saul. You remember that, that Saul knew that David was going to be the follow-up king and began to get jealous. People loved David, and Saul was losing the respect of the people, and so he wanted to try to kill him. And, and David and some of his men fl- fled out into the wilderness. And in this account, they came to a place called Nob, and the priest was there. And the priest had the ceremonial bread that was used in, in the, the sacrificial process and in the ceremonial process. And so these were the, the, the loaves of bread that would be placed on the altar on the Sabbath. And the only person that was allowed to eat them when the ceremony was over was the priest. And David came to him and asked the priest for bread that his men might eat. And the priest gave him some. Technically, by the letter of the law, he was breaking the law by allowing David to eat bread. But he recognized that something bigger was going on here. He was having mercy on someone who was starving. And so they, they broke the law in order to care and love one of God's people. And so Jesus says, if David was allowed to actually break a real law one of the real ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, how much more is it okay for me to justify my disciples breaking one of your man-made laws? By this, Jesus was claiming to have greater authority than David himself. So then Jesus explains further and says uh, in verses 27 and 28, That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so that the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. 
You see, in that culture, in that time, the Sabbath had ceased becoming a day of rest. They had completely lost focus of, of what the Sabbath was there for. It was so that people would take a break from work. And not only to be able to rest their bodies, but just have a day where their hearts and minds were, were directed towards the Lord. And they didn't think, have to think about providing for their family. They didn't have to think about, about working out in the fields or taking care of the animals. They were freed from that obligation and freed to be able to devote their hearts and mind to the Lord. But the Sabbath had been completely turned all the way upside down and, and And in Jesus' words, the Sabbath was no longer for man, but man was for the Sabbath. Your job was to try to try to keep up with everything that was imposed upon you. And so when Jesus came to the people, and in Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He was speaking to people who knew what it was like to be burdened. Who knew what it was like to carry things that they shouldn't be carrying. To be weighed down with things that they shouldn't be weighed down with. And Jesus says, when you enter into a relationship with me, I I take those things from you. I'm coming not so that you'll live a a stressed out, overworked, overburdened life. Constantly overwhelmed, constantly freaking out. I come to take those things from you. This morning, I think there are probably some of us here carrying things that we're not supposed to carry. We're weighed down with burdens that aren't supposed to be on our shoulders. And Jesus says to you the same thing He says to those who had been imposed with all these Sabbath restrictions. He says, I come to give you rest. People in Jesus' day longed for rest. They longed for the Sabbath to be what it was intended to be. And Jesus was trying to help them see that there was a way to return to that. To not live under so many cares and so many burdens. That's the controversy over the grain. Chapter 3 tells us about the controversy over the healing. Chapter 3 verse 1 says, Again he entered the synagogue. So again, we're still dealing with a Sabbath. Um, Luke, the, uh, the account in Luke chapter 6 tells us that this was a different Sabbath. When you read Mark's account, you almost get the idea that maybe it was the same day. But this was a, a different Sabbath day. And it tells us that he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. So it sets the stage. It tells us that there was a man whose, whose hand had been uh, deformed. It doesn't tell us whether this happened at birth whether that uh, whether this was something that he uh, he developed later in life, but he had lost the ability to use his hand, and it affected every aspect of his life, his ability to earn an income and to take care of his family. And verse two says they watched Jesus, and again they're talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. See, people who are, have surrounded themselves with 
all kinds of laws and rules. They, they want to make sure others stay in line. They're not so concerned about their own hearts. They're not concerned about where they're at spiritually. But they're typically overly concerned where others are at. The passage does not say that they were in the synagogue to worship. That they were there to honor God. They were there with this purpose. To see if they could catch Jesus doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. They weren't worried or, or sympathetic towards this man with a withered hand. They just wanted to nail Jesus. Really, the, the foundation of this controversy is the hearts of the religious leaders. Rules and regulations that we set up, legalism is a reflection of our hearts. So Jesus turned to them in verse 4 and he says, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they were silent. How do you not answer a question like that? How is the answer not immediately obvious? Well, of course it's okay to help someone. Our hearts can get so, so lost, so unfocused, that we would rather pridefully dig our heels in and maintain our rules, maintain our stance, and completely miss what God is doing. This man needs healing. And Jesus is like, what's better? To stick to your man-made rules or to help this guy out? And they wouldn't even answer. Because they knew being honest would reveal where their hearts were at. And their hearts were in an ugly place. The Sabbath was given for goodness and wholeness of man. And Jesus was about to do something in keeping with the Sabbath, not a violation of it. Verse 5 says that he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. You see the emotions that are swirling through our Savior? He's angry at them. He's indignant that they would be so blind as to just ignore this person in need. To truly not care. And then it, his anger boiled over into this grief. This broken heartedness. That these are the spiritual leaders of the people. And they can be so blind. So calloused. Jesus several times in his ministry. Demonstrates to us righteous anger. Anger can be a good thing. Anger can be a good emotion. It's a God given emotion. Many of us, most of us really, in our sinfulness, use anger in the, at the wrong time and in the wrong ways for the wrong reasons. But Jesus uses it righteously and proves that it can be used rightly. His anger towards the self-righteous, condemning hearts of the Pharisees motivated him into action, into to helping this man. So he says to the man, stretch out your hand. <laughs> and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. 
For the first time, and we don't know how long, this man was able to have full motion of his hands. No thanks to the Pharisees. To the compassion and care of Jesus. It says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Two people who typically, two groups who typically would not have been allies found a common reason to join together to try to kill Jesus. It seems like an overreaction for a healing on a Sabbath. Jesus made a man well and all of a sudden they're trying to find out how they can kill him. But see, they knew what Jesus had claimed just a few verses back, that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They knew what he was getting at. He was going back to this I am God thing that they had a lot of trouble with. It made them so angry they wanted him dead. They wanted to destroy him. Jesus is concerned about our hearts. This morning, maybe some of us are missing out on a work of God because it doesn't fit within the parameters of the rules that we've set up for ourselves. We miss opportunities to show compassion, to be gentle, to love, to reach out because we've boxed ourselves in with man-made regulations. See, legalism can be an absolutely devastating Absolutely devastating disease. It starts off with a desire to please God and a desire to do what's right. And that's, that's where the Pharisees started off. They said, we, we want to obey the law. We want to obey God on the Sabbath. He says, don't work. Well, some of you can, some of you, especially those of you who, who are hard workers, automatically probably ask the very question that they would have asked. Well, what do you mean by work? Does it mean if I punch in or punch out? Am I allowed to do things around the house? Am I allowed to help my wife out with the dishes after Sunday lunch? And so you begin to think, well, i got to know what this really means. What does it mean not to work? And so you begin to flesh that out a little bit. You begin to be a little more specific. And a little more specific, and a little more specific. And all of a sudden, before they knew it, they had all of these rules that they had to impose on themselves and other people. Rather than just being okay with rest, chill out, don't work. They created all these rules. For example, let's say you decide in the morning that it's, that's the best time for you to spend with the Lord. But you know personally you're struggling to make it happen. You struggle to, to get up that extra 15 or 20 minutes early. So you decide to tell yourself, all right, I'm going to motivate myself a little bit and I'm going to make a rule that if I don't have my quiet time with the Lord before I go out the door, then I'm not allowed to eat breakfast. All right. That's necessarily bad in and of itself. But here's the problem. Let's say you mess up, your alarm clock goes off, you hit the snooze button one morning, and all of a sudden you're rushing around and scrambling, and as you're running out the door, you grab a Pop-Tart as you head to the car and eat it on your way to work, and all of a sudden you realize what you've done. You had breakfast 
without having devotions. And the guilt overwhelms you. I can't believe I ate that Pop-Tart. I can't believe I had that Pop-Tart without devotions. And all of a sudden the guilt creeps in and and overwhelms you. (laughs) See the problem? You haven't actually sinned. You've broken a personal rule that you made for yourself, but you haven't violated God's word. There's nothing that says thou shalt not have Pop-Tarts before you read my word in the morning. But you've made that rule and all of a sudden now you expect that you've got to keep it or else. And then most of us legalists take it a step further because we begin to impose our rules on other people. So you've got that coworker friend who's a Christian and you see him munching that Pop-Tart at his desk and you know, you know he hasn't read his Bible today. <laughs> well, good thing I read mine before I had my breakfast. <laughs> He's kind of not what I thought he was. We begin to look down on people who don't measure up. See, there are several dangers to legalism. There are several dangers to legalism. I got a prop here this morning that this is probably going to go poorly, but well, <laughs> church is all paid up on their insurance as far as I know. Right, Joe? We, got, we send that check in? Good. <laughs> yeah, I think Karen left for Florida. Might be in trouble. All right. The first danger of legalism is when we think that by keeping rules we can earn our salvation. There are really several tiers to legalism, and this is by far the worst because it affects our eternal standing. I mean, we're messing and fiddling around with with how we get to heaven, how we get into right relationship with God. And the worst form of legalism says that I I can maintain or I can earn my salvation by doing good works. Now, we might know that we're saved through Christ, but we think that we need to help Him out a little bit. And so I can get a little bit closer to God if I, uh, if I make sure that I'm baptized. I know Jesus died for my sins. I know I'm saved through Christ. But i got to finish it a little bit. i got to make sure it's done deal. So I'm going to get baptized. And i got to make sure I get, get, get to church. And I've got to make sure that I'm there every Sunday. And i got to make sure that, that I'm giving a little bit. And so we, we do and we work and the, and the more effort that we put into this salvation, the more close we get to earning that salvation. And the Bible tells us very clearly, the Apostle Paul just laid into the Galatians because they had distorted the gospel message. And he says, how foolish can you be starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by human effort? You are saved by grace. It doesn't have anything to do with your works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's not by works. It is the gift of God. The most insidious and terrifying form of legalism is that which says, I can contribute to my salvation. Because what we've done is we've done, now gone and nullified the grace of God. And our salvation depends upon what we do, not upon what Christ has done. But there's a second form of legalism that 
is maybe a little bit more common to Christians. We might know our theology well enough to know that I'm, I'm saved by grace alone and not as a result of works. But this second tier of legalism creeps in and tells us that our self-made rules somehow make us more acceptable to God. You see, they know that their good works can't earn their salvation, but they think they can climb the ladder of God's acceptance and favor. When I feel like that I'm keeping up with all I'm supposed to do, which is really an impossible task, then God is happy with me. And I can feel very good about myself. But when I, when I blow it and I don't measure up, then I drop down a few rungs on God's ladder of acceptance and good favor. I can, I can testify to the miserableness of this lifestyle because I lived it for many of years. I, I would look at, at things I felt like I needed to do. I needed to be a good testimony at, at high school and be a good example. I needed to make sure my thought life was, was in line and where it needed to be. I needed to make sure I did my devotions. I was in a youth group where we... We, our youth leaders would check our devotional book each week to make sure that we had done them. And so whether or not my heart was in it, I would still make sure I did it so that I could get, get not only the approval of my youth leaders, but uh, get a little bit higher up on God's ladder of acceptance. And the, and the rules go on and on and on. I would make sure that I, uh, I didn't see any, any rated R movies that week or even any PG-13s if I wanted to maybe bump it up another notch. And all of a sudden now, I'd, I'd be feeling pretty good. God's happy with me. He accepts me. He loves me. He really loves me. But then I'd blow it. I, I, I'd forget to do my devotions one day. And maybe I would, I would say something at school that I shouldn't say. And all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm knocked a few rungs down. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm not as, as loved by God, not as favored by God. I'd look at other people who I thought were doing better, and I'd think, man, I'm just a miserable failure. And it'd be ups and downs. But then I began to realize that God accepts us in Christ, not because of what we do and how we behave and how we measure up, but because of who Christ is. I stand before God accepted based on the merit of Jesus, not based upon my merit. Romans 15, 7 reminds us, to accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. We're also told in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, we're told in God's word that we walk by faith, not by rule keeping. That our life is, is to be one of moment by moment trust in God. Not trying to somehow earn his acceptance by, by minding our P's and Q's. But a life of trust and dependence upon him. And then finally, the third danger with regards to legalism is that it produces self-righteousness. This is the inevitable next step. It's the one in which the Pharisees found themselves in this passage. 
as they were in the middle of breaking their own rules by following the disciples around on the Sabbath, they could look down their noses and judge, judge, judge. Because they saw themselves as having figured it out. See, legalism, you kind of go one of two places. You either, you either feel like a, you're down at the bottom of the ladder feeling like a miserable failure because you don't keep all the rules and regulations, or you feel like you're at the top of the ladder because, you know what, I've got it all figured out. You ignore your, 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 the ways in which you blow it because that, that would, that would uh, change your status and your position. And so you spend your time up here looking down. See, when you're at the top of the ladder, everybody else is below you. You're looking down on everybody. You begin to think about how wonderful you are. And it isn't just such a great thing that I'm part of God's family. He's lucky to have me, really. (laughs) And all the rest, everybody else, hmm, see what they did this week. Oh, I see what they're doing over there. (laughs) Okay, hope you saw that, God, because I did. (laughs) And the self-righteousness bubbles over. And not only does it make you miserable to be around, but it separates you from God. Jesus said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm not looking for people who think they've got it all together, who are everybody else's judge, jury, and executioner. I'm looking for people who are broken, So this morning, if you see within yourself the tentacles of legalism spreading themselves forth, I just want to encourage you with these words from Tim Keller. He says, if religion says, if I perform, if I obey, then I'm accepted. But the gospel of Jesus is not only different from that, but diametrically opposed to it. I am fully accepted in Christ, therefore I obey. You see the contrast between the two? One says, I'm obey, I, I obey so that I'll be accepted. And the other says, because I'm accepted, now I want to obey. Two completely different forms of obedience from two different places of the heart. See, most of us work and work trying to prove ourselves to convince God, others, and ourselves that, that we're really good people. The work is never over unless we rest in the gospel. At the end of his great act of creation, the Lord said, It is finished. And he could rest. And upon the cross, at the end of his great act of redemption, our Lord Jesus said, It is finished. And now we can rest. On the cross, Jesus was saying, Of the work underneath your work, the thing that makes you truly weary... This need to prove yourself because of who you are and what you do is never good enough. He says, that's finished. You no longer have to try to measure up. Jesus has lived the life you should have lived. Jesus has died the death you should have died. And if you rely on his finished work, you know that God is satisfied with you and you can be satisfied with life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you today to reveal in our hearts those places where we may be depending upon our works to earn your favor.
that we may be instituting man-made rules and regulations to try to earn your acceptance and, and, and through which we're judging other people's behavior and actions. Father, may, may we see our own heart. May we be concerned where, where our own heart's at and, and may we rest solely upon the finished work of Jesus. God, I pray that if there's anyone here trying to earn their way to you by, by being good Christians, by being uh, holy and, and living good, solid lives, may they realize that while those things are important, they, they do nothing to earn your favor. We thank you that your favor rests upon your children because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.